Hi everyone, Pastor Michael here, and I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon podcast. I want to encourage you to use this resource in addition to, and not in place, of belonging to a local church body as you grow in your faith. If this sermon is a blessing, would you consider giving back to Springs Church? You could do that by giving on the app or by visiting the gift tab on our website at springs.church. I pray this sermon increases your passion for Christ and helps you grow in your walk with God. Morning, Springs Church. Great to see all of you. You're very kind. Thank you. Well, grace and peace to you. God's blessings on you. It's great to be in the house of the Lord together. Amen. Amen. Um, let me just start with a couple announcements that uh, I don't think one of them was in the video. Uh, anyways, so just to remind you guys, prayer and fasting will start tomorrow. So we're going we're gonna to gather here and pray about uh, breaking resistance and uh, bringing some things before the Lord. So we'll send some email communication and otherwise just to keep everybody on track. Uh, we'll just start steadying your hearts for that. So we'll be here tomorrow night, Tuesday night, and Wednesday night. And those will be full services, and we're going to just go before the Lord together, lifting up all manner of things before him. So let's join as a body and commit ourselves to that as we're able. Amen. As always, we, we tell you guys, if, if you have um, you know, medical needs or anything unique that would prevent you from fasting, please listen to your uh, you know, medical professionals and do what you can, but at least let's commit to praying together. Amen. Um, the other thing I'll mention quickly is you guys know that we lifted up Marsha Worm um, last week, and we prayed and we brought faith and asked God to touch and bring a healing, and um, the Lord saw fit to bring her home. Uh, so we just wanted to come back to you all and let you know that uh, she did pass. I believe it was early Tuesday morning. I know Pastor Michael and Beth spent a good amount of time with her on Sunday night, and, um, and many of you were reaching out, and so he did take her home. Um, I'll just mention, you know, we, we always are going to pray with faith in this house, and that's what the Lord teaches us. And so um, when he does the opposite of what we're asking, it's no reflection on our faith, and it's no reflection on his character. We trust his sovereignty, and, and we know that her being reunited with him is the best healing at the end of all things. And so um, that's the update there. We'll make sure to give uh, information about uh, services and other, other needs of the family. Uh, but we wanted to bring that back to you guys. So thank you for praying with us. Amen. Awesome. Well, I have a word this morning that I have entitled, Blessed are the empty. Blessed are the empty. And so uh, why don't we open with a word of prayer together and we'll jump straight in. Well, Father God, we thank you for the blessing of your word. We thank you for an opportunity to pause and to worship you for who you are. You show us your, your works all across this world and our lives across creation, and you use those things to draw us in that we might know your ways, that we might know your heart and come to love you in a deeper sense of devotion. And so we thank you for meeting with us in worship, for meeting in us in, with us in these gatherings, God. We pray that our conversation today would, would uplift Jesus and his cross and, and remind us of his resurrection there is no other hope for us, Lord. So Holy Spirit, come now and quicken our hearts. Uh, anoint us, not just for the preaching of the word, but for the hearing of it. Help our feet to be swift, to move in obedience as you would speak, God. And, and would you speak uh, to the core of our hearts as only you can. In Jesus' name. Amen. Blessed are the empty. So for you note takers out there that need to know where we're headed, here's kind of the main, the main point. Um, <clears throat> the blessing on the Lord, the blessing of the Lord is on those who have stood fast in a trial. The blessing 
of the Lord is on those who, who understand that it's not about the breakthrough. It's not just about the miracle. It's not just about the healing. The blessing of the Lord is actually on those that come to a place of recognizing how much we truly depend on him. So blessed are the empty. Now, I got this language from uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is pronouncing blessings on his people. He has just launched his ministry, and his preaching is all centered on his kingdom. So he's beginning to describe what the citizens of his kingdom actually look like. And so in that section of scripture, the, the heading in most of your Bibles will say the Beatitudes. That's how they list that section. Some people uh, have just decided they're not even going to try to understand what Beatitudes means. I, I read one article and the guy goes, it's just all the stuff in Matthew 5. Just whatever Jesus says, that's the Beatitudes. Uh, another guy was a little more clever and said Beatitudes actually means it's the way our attitudes should be. Uh, so that was pretty clever. Ultimately, what he's talking about is a word that means blessing. It's just a Latin word that eventually translates into blessing. So Jesus is pronouncing blessing. He's saying, he's preaching about his kingdom, and then he's saying, the citizens of my kingdom, the blessed ones, look like this. And what's interesting is, he has just come down from healing a bunch of people who were sick and diseased. He has just come down from setting people free from demonic oppression, setting them free from ailments. And when he goes to announce who the blessed ones are in his sermon, he doesn't point to those people. He doesn't point to those who are wealthy. He doesn't point to those who seem to have vision in their ministry. He doesn't point to those that have a, a thriving family or a career. He points to those that we would say are probably empty. He says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who weep. Blessed are those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so what he's getting at in, in the way that he's teaching is he's saying, um, blessed are the empty, and those are my words, but ultimately what he's trying to, to form in us and trying to craft in us is the reality of how much we depend on him. And so it is those who are in a posture of poverty in a spiritual sense. It's those who recognize that we're at the end of ourselves and we truly have to lean on Jesus to do anything of effect in this life or the next. I was sharing this with the staff. We had a little staff retreat this week and um, had a few activities planned and just tried to keep it really lighthearted and refreshing. Um, but I, I wouldn't be a good pastor if I didn't bring some kind of a word. And so I, I snuck something in just at the beginning and I said, guys, uh, this is kind of how I've been praying and this is what I feel like the Lord shared. And I gave this to them and I said, I feel like the word for us is blessed are the empty. We're getting to the end of the year and it's easy for us to have checked off all of our objectives and we've met all of our goals as, as ministry leaders and, and even volunteers can feel this. And you can get to the end of the year and then feel like, what did I actually accomplish? Like ministry never really stops. The work is always rolling and rolling and rolling. And so if you get caught up in this place of feeling like, well, it's about the checklist and it's about my, uh, my, my sheet of, of tasks, um, we're actually going to miss it. What I actually think the Lord is teaching us through the trials as ministry leaders and being on staff at the church is he's, he's teaching us a greater dependency on him. And so in the place where we feel empty, in the place where we feel spent, that's actually a prime opportunity for us to lean on him. I'm going to actually take our teaching, preaching today out of James 1, uh, 1 through 12, and I'll read that for us. The main points, uh, I don't have slides for you guys, so the main kind of points of where I'm going, uh, I want to talk about the command to stand, which we'll see in James, and I want to talk about changing your cry in the midst of the trial. 
And then I want to close with a couple of promises that I think are important for us to understand about Jesus. Because I do think and I, I know that many of us are in a place of trial. We're waiting on the Lord to answer. We're seeking and asking for big things. And many of us feel stuck. And so there are some promises from the Lord that I think are important. Let me start by reading James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. And then verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life which God has promised to those who love him. So this idea of standing firm and recognizing who your strength really is and, and letting the Lord bless you in your emptiness, that's what we're going to tie together out of this section in James. Um, <clears throat> at a previous job, uh, the the company would host an event every other summer called Zero Day PT. And uh, the purpose of the event was to help uh, employees understand what the military goes through on their first day getting off the bus for basic training. And so you get to go through a lot of what they go through. You get yelled at. You're doing push-ups and sit-ups, and they cause all kinds of chaos and confusion. They have loudspeakers blasting war sounds and trying to scare you, and it's a really intense three hours for a Saturday morning. I come from a military family, so my dad is never impressed with these stories. He's, he's like, the three hours doesn't even count for anything. I'd try 20 plus years. So then I go to Danny's family and we talk, and her dad's been in for 20 plus years, so there's no sympathy over there either. But every time that I think through issues of faith and needing to stand firm, these memories come back to my mind of these zero day events. And so what would happen is, leading up to the event, they give you a list of things you're allowed to wear. You have to purchase certain things for a uniform. You're issued a shirt. You've got to shave. You've got to do haircut protocols. Uh, you have to have shoes just so, and your, your laces have to be a solid color. And then they give you a military acumen card. And so you're assigned to a branch of the military, and you've got to memorize who's the highest ranking person in your branch. What's the birthday of your branch? How many active duty are deployed right now? How many tanks do we have in the field? And so all this technical information, and I took it so seriously. I took a couple days off work. I was running. I was up in my hydration. I was doing push-ups. I actually was listening to military cadence on a run through the neighborhood, just trying to get it into my spirit. And Danny and the girls thought I was losing it. But I got myself ready. I, I, I knew what I was going to be asked. And so when, when 0400, 4 a.m. came on that Saturday, I show up, and the second that you get off, get out of your car, they're barking at you. They're yelling, and they're, who told you to look left? Who told you to step on that rock? And, and just making a big deal and making chaos out of everything. But I was ready for it. It wasn't my first time. So we get into our formations, and we're all kind of standing in lines. 
and, and uh, they start coming around with their flashlights and everybody's standing at attention and they're asking everybody the questions. Well, who's the highest ranking officer and all these different questions. So I'm hearing people just fail. Boom, boom, boom. This one's doing push-ups. This one's doing sit-ups. So I'm waiting for my turn. So when he gets to me, all he asks me is, what's in your bag? So I'm like, okay, so I take my bag off and it's just the water bottle and the card they gave me. And he goes, I want you to just hold it out to your side and stand at attention like this. And he just left. So I was ready for the questions. I was ready for all of this action over here. But this, just to stand, was devastating. All of my prep and all I needed to do was stand. And so I start getting the shakes. It's only been about 90 seconds, but I'm getting the shakes. And I start negotiating with myself that maybe if I lower it slowly, he won't notice because I couldn't see him anywhere. And as soon as my arm drops, he pops over and he brings all the attention to me. Are you telling me you can't hold up a water bottle for 30 seconds and making a big deal and all the chaos? So, so the, point, the point of the story is this. I was ready with all the military acumen. My uniform looked great. I was sharp. My hair was cut. I had my shoes tied. And I was ready for action. But all I really needed to do in the moment was stand. And I found that challenging. I find that that's a lot like the Christian life. We know our verses. We know the ones that we run to, and that's good. Those are good things. We know the worship songs that hold us up on the drive home. We know who to call for prayer. But the, the hardest part of the Christian life is when you're empty of all of your own efforts, and the Lord says, I just want you to stand firm. It feels ridiculous. It's the hardest thing to do. You feel like I've got to add more action. There's got to be something else I can put on top of this. And he's saying, I just want you to stand. You find the same language with Paul when he talks about the armor of God. Uh, I won't turn there, but he just says, you know, therefore, take up the whole armor of God when he's dealing with spiritual warfare, um, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So he goes through and he lists the articles of the armor. And so you've got your helmet and your sword and your breastplate. Everything is on. You fight a few battles. You go through a few things. And there's, there's going to come a point where all he wants you to do is just stand firm. And it proves to be one of the hardest things uh, about our walk. But he says to us, keep alert with all perseverance. Sometimes we look for the Lord to bring salvation. We look for the Lord to bring deliverance. Uh, we look for healing and breakthroughs, which we should. We pray for the big impossible things. And sometimes when he shows up, he just gives a touch of strength. And then it feels like he leaves us alone. He leaves us in the suffering. We want to escape the pressure and he leaves us in the fire a little bit. But it's by design. He's crafting something in us. Let's walk through a couple of verses here in James and, and tie some of these things together. He begins saying, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. Greetings. Now you'll remember the dispersion is talking about the, the Israelites that track back to the 12 tribes of, of Israel, of Jacob. And so they've all been scattered through the years of rebellion over the generations. They're all scattered. And so you would imagine if James, who in this letter, he's very humble. He calls himself a servant of God, but he was actually one of the lead apostles. He was eventually one of the um, kind of leaders over the, the Jewish church. Um, so he had stature, but he didn't lean on that. He actually leaned on saying, I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. But for the, the churches to get a letter from James, 
should be a very encouraging thing. They're in a dispersion. They're in a place of maybe wondering, does God still accept us? Does God still love us? And they're all scattered. And so James brings a letter and he says, greetings. And this is his word to them. He doesn't say, hey, we've raised up a military leader. We've got a political plan. He tells them, stay where you are and count it all joy. Stay in the pressure and count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. This is the strange reality of the Christian life. The, the greater command is not for us to celebrate once we find the victory. He actually says to count it joy and to celebrate when the testing hits. When you're in the trial, he says to celebrate. He says to rejoice in that and to count it all joy. The blessed ones, like we talked about, those who are poor in spirit, those who have their dependency on the Lord, we know who the author and the finisher of our faith is. And so when you know who your strength is, that's where you find the strength to rejoice in the midst of the trial. So this is what he's bringing to them, and he's reminding them, you are the blessed ones, you are the empty ones. Um, Remain poor in spirit, and you can actually rejoice in the trial because the Lord is faithful. He goes on to say, the, the testing of your faith, there's a plan for it. It actually produces steadfastness. And he says it makes you perfect and complete before the Lord. You see, a lot like my zero-day experience, I just wanted someone to come and bring relief. I just wanted someone to take the bag. I wanted someone to ask me questions I know so that I can be affirmed. I wanted someone to, to snatch me out of the pressure. But in the moment, I had to find strength to stand. And that's a lot of what the Lord is doing. He says, I actually perfect your faith, not just with breakthroughs and miracles and healings. I perfect it and I make you complete when I leave you in that place of a trial because the the place of the trial actually produces a steadfastness. It produces a strength and an ability to stand. Amen? So the great need of the Christian life is not breakthrough. On one side, you have the prosperity gospel The other side is the poverty gospel where there's this idea that like we're doing Jesus a favor if we walk around broke. Those extremes are not the gospel. There's one gospel. Jesus Christ came to the world to save sinners. And from the strength of that, we live our lives. We find our obedience. We find our purpose. And so the great need of the Christian life is actually not breakthrough. We can pray for that. We can pray for healing. We can pray for marriages. We can pray for singleness. But the great need of the Christian life is actually us recognizing our dependency on the Lord and learning to stand firm. These middle sections here in James didn't seem like they had a whole lot to do with the passage. You kind of read about counting it all joy and standing firm and this concept that I'm talking about with blessed are the empty. Um, And then in verse 12, it kind of seems like he comes back around and talks about that. And then the middle chunk, I didn't really understand how that all fit in. But what I think James was doing as I took a closer look is uh, we'll kind of talk through this, but he gave us kind of two analogies to understand what it looks like to have faith that endures, to have a steadfast faith, to be a person that recognizes our emptiness and knows how to stand in the Lord. Uh, So uh, from verse five, it just says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So in my own notes, I tagged that little section there and I said this, it's useless to have a strong faith, but to not stand strong in it when the trial comes. So it's useless to profess 
a strong faith. It's useless to profess who Jesus is to us if when the trial comes, we shrink back, we run away from it. There's a reason that he has implanted us with the faith that he has and put us in the situations we're in. He's, he's, he's pruning, he's doing something, he's fortifying something in us for his own glory. So it's useless to have a faith that we profess to be strong if we shrink back when the trial comes. And so when you see what James is talking about here, he talks about this, this um, dynamic of faith and wisdom. So he says, if any of you needs wisdom, ask God. He's a giver of good gifts and he will give you wisdom. But he says, ask with faith. So what he's trying to get us to understand and think about is, if you believe God to be a giver of good gifts, if you believe him to be wise and all-powerful, and you ask him for something, it looks really strange for you to then shrink back and say, well, yeah, I know you're busy. I don't know if you have all of that in your wallet to bless me right now. So if you feel like it, maybe sprinkle a little wisdom. He says, no, if you ask for it, ask boldly and be strong in faith. And so it's that, that dynamic of what I'm talking about, that if you believe you have a strong faith, then stand in it when the trial comes. The second section there, he says um, from verse 9, let the, whole, let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass, its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. So that little section I tagged, counterfeit faith will not stand the trials. So he's getting the rich person to think through the fact that uh, wealth is not sinful in this world, um, but if you set your hope, if you set your faith on your savings account, your 401k, your ability to, to pivot in your career, uh, to bring in money, you will perish when those things perish because they don't endure. And so he says, you actually should rejoice in your humiliation. In other words, rejoice at the day that money dries up because you have something greater, something far richer, a way better treasure to cling to in the Lord. And on the other side, he says to the, to the poor um, to rejoice in your exaltation. The, those who go about with a poorness of spirit, as Jesus described it, they have everything to look forward to. They naturally understand how much we are dependent on Jesus. And so he's giving, again, a, a bit of an analogy for us to understand what true faith looks like. And so the evidence of true faith is, number one, that the trials will be met with rejoicing. Uh, and secondly, that the testing that comes to us will produce the steadfastness that the Lord desires. When we talk about this idea of uh, rejoicing at trials, it's not, a, it's not a false humility. It's not living in denial I remember growing up with people that you never could catch them in a bad day. You would know that things were falling apart and you say, man, how, how can I pray for you? How are you doing? Oh, blessed and highly favored. God loves me. It, it's true, but there's nothing wrong with asking for prayer. It, there, it's, it's not a dismissive kind of denial of what's happening in your experience. We're rejoicing in the Lord despite the trial. We're finding that our strength is in him and that's the blessing on our emptiness. The idea that the, the testing produces steadfastness, we've talked through, it's, it's um, the Lord fortifying something in us, leaving us in the fire just long enough, leaving us under pressure, leaving us in the places of trial and trouble so that he can show something of his character that we wouldn't see otherwise. So those are the, the marks of true faith that endures. Now, as I was praying through this and praying for us, uh, I'm aware that many of us are struggling in our, in our faith walk. There, there are some that have been begging the Lord for prodigals for many years. There are some that have been asking for healing for many years. Some have been asking for a spouse 
Singleness has gotten difficult. Some have been asking for God to bless them with a child and their infertility issues. And so all of those places become very difficult for us to trust God. We, we wait on the Lord, and when he doesn't break through, we begin to question ourselves. There's a bad theology out there that says, well, if you just had more faith, you'd get what you want. It's not actually what the word teaches. If we don't question ourselves, we question God. Well, maybe the things in the scripture were just for the people of the Old Testament or the people of the first century church. Um, but again, there are always going to be two things that you can bank on when you pray the prayer of faith. One is that God is going to come through and bless you with a miracle. The other is that he's going to meet you in your suffering and reveal something of himself to give you strength to stand. So that is where we set our hope. The breakthrough is not the most important thing in the life of the Christian. We praise God when he does it, but we don't idolize it. I had a lady come to my office recently, and um, she had asked just for wisdom and prayer. That was her, her request. I need wisdom and prayer for a tough issue I'm going through. And she came to my office, and as she began to share, I typically will just listen and pray in the Spirit and see if the Lord gives a nugget of something. Like, usually there's a little small step of obedience somewhere that maybe makes a big change. And she was just rock solid. There was just this uh, humility about her. She was, she was opening her life to the church community. She was trusting in the Lord. She was in the Word. She was in prayer. Um, and so I really struggled with, Lord, what do, I, what do I say to her? What can I offer her even in prayer? But she started to tell me a little bit about this, this struggle of roughly 30 years of something she was really interceding for. She was really asking the Lord for a touch. And, and it just seemed like one of those scenarios where the more you pray, the worse things get. Or maybe you get through one battle and there's another one right on the heels of it. And it just feels like you're just, everything just rolls on top. And you think after 30 years how difficult it is to trust God and to continue praying. Well, she starts to tell me this story about going on a hike. And she regularly would go on a hike with her dogs, and uh, she picked a trail that she would normally do. I think she had left her phone at home this day, and it was, it was a little bit different because of that. But she had her dogs. It was snowing outside, and she goes on a walk, and she slips. And it was just a complete freak accident, and she slipped and broke her ankle really badly. So she's laying there in the snow. She, there's blood in the snow. One of the dogs takes off. The other one, I think, is just laying there whimpering. The dogs, after all the training, apparently didn't know what to do. So she's laying there, and she starts crying out for help. She can't move. She's in shock. She's trying not to pass out. And she explained to me that it was probably about 45 minutes to an hour of just yelling, help, help, help. And she just yelled. She just yells for help, for help. And no one's coming. And so you can imagine the, the helplessness, the hopelessness that sets in. And her mind starts racing. Maybe this is it. Maybe, maybe this is how I go. Maybe this is how the Lord's going to call me home. And so she's, she's come to the end of herself. And she's laying there in the snow, and she said something just told her, cry out again, but cry out differently. So there was a place where she decided to just change her cry. So instead of just yelling, help, she said something like, someone come to me. And she said within a couple of minutes, uh, she sees a silhouette of a man kind of running to her from across the woods there where they lived. And he said to her, you know, I heard something before, but it sounded like an animal, so I didn't come. But it was something about the way you changed what you were saying that kind of like, uh, piqued my interest or caught my ears, and so I ran to come help. Um, now, I'm sharing that not to say that the Lord needs you to strike the right tune or sing the right note, and then he'll come help you. He's better than that. Uh, but there is something about being in a battle, being caught in a place of resistance, walking through a challenge, being on a journey where you feel broken, forgotten, alone, and there's something about your cry that has to change in the midst of it. 
And the way that the change cries is you get a revelation of the Lord. I'm sorry, the way the cry changes, you get a revelation of the Lord. There's something he does to show up in your suffering and reveal something about his character, and it changes your cry. And so I said to her, you know, I I hope this resonates with you. I I can't imagine how you felt. That was probably terrifying uh, to be alone like that out there, to be hurting like that out there, and to just feel like no one's going to come to your rescue. And I said, but I wonder if you might consider that story and how it might relate to the rest of the 30 years of your struggle. What, what if you were to change your cry of intercession about this 30-year struggle? How, how might that affect things? And so um, that's, that's the word to us. That's what I brought to my own heart to say, again, the Lord doesn't need us to change into a right tune, um, but that change of cry comes when we get a revelation of God in our storm. I'll just give you an example from Psalms. Um, you know, when you read through the Psalms, you'll find pretty often uh, the, the opening verses have a lot to do with almost like complaining. You know, like, Lord, where are you? How long until you're gonna answer? Where's my breakthrough? Where's my miracle? Um, I've waited for you. I've been trying, I've been righteous. And then there's always this weird pivot towards the middle where all of a sudden they say, but the Lord is my refuge and strength. The Lord is my portion. The Lord is my provider. And I always think, where does that come from? What What you're gonna understand and what we'll see in Psalm 73 is that the, like I said, the Lord is either going to break through with a miracle or he's going to enter into your suffering and teach you something of himself. So even in a prayer of complaining and, and groaning and asking the Lord for breakthrough, even in that place of communion with him, he begins to teach us things about himself and he changes the cry of our hearts and we find hope again. I won't read the whole Psalm, but just listen to a few of the sections here. Um, psalm 73 says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. So this is written by Asaph, and he goes on for the next 10 or 11 verses, essentially complaining that I'm supposed to be the blessed one. I'm supposed to be the one that that I can say, blessed is my emptiness because God is with me. But when I look around, it seems the righteous are always in a trial. The righteous are constantly struggling and the wicked seem to skip through life. It seems they don't have the problems I have. So what is the reward of my righteousness? Why should I try? But as you get down to around verse 16 and 17, he says this, but when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then I discern their end. So there came a place of communion with the Lord, communion with the body, coming into the church and getting a revelation of the Lord that began to change his cry. It began to change his perspective. It began to change what he even asked the Lord for. Lord, if you want to bring breakthrough, I believe you for it. But the breakthrough is not the goal anymore. I need to be close to you. And what he says towards the end of the psalm, just to tie it up in verse 23, he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And that's that language of of the emptiness of the poor in spirit that I'm completely learning to stand firm because Jesus is my strength and I have nothing else. And he says, there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. 
I have made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. So he goes from saying I was envious of the arrogant to saying it's good for me to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge. And that's where he finds his strength and that's the change in the cry. That's the change in our intercession. That's the change in how we uh, approach God and what we ask of him. So this is why Jesus initially pronounced the blessings on the poor in spirit. It was that heart. It was those that have come to the end of themselves and they're learning to stand with nothing but faith in the Lord and being anchored to him and his character and his promises. This is why James says that we can count it all joy. Because when you have that revelation in your heart, it really doesn't matter what hits you from what angle, the Lord is faithful and he promises to be with us. So the revelation is that those who stand in the trial come to realize the beautiful truth that the Lord is our strength. And that's the only way that we learn to stand firm. We realize we have nothing to cling to but him. So just again, as we get ready to close, the, um, the great breakthrough in this life is not healing, prosperity, um, it's not marriage, it's not career, it's not ministry. The Lord bless you for all of those things. We all pursue them to some degree and we ask the Lord for them. Um, but the great moment of our lives, the great breakthrough in our lives is when we finally realize our great dependency on the Lord. And that's why he says, blessed are the empty. I want to offer just two promises that I think are important for us. Uh, as many of us are caught in a place of trial, we're waiting on the Lord. Uh, I don't think that anyone is lazy. I don't think that anyone is um, in sin. I don't think it's an issue of rebellion. Um, sometimes we're just caught and we need the encouragement. We need to remember who the Lord is in the midst of our storms. Uh, so let me just offer you two things that are important about the Lord. Number one, he will not abandon you, and that's his promise. So we've already talked about um, the idea that he's either going to bring you the impossible miracle or he's going to meet you in the place of suffering and give you strength to stand. He's going to give you strength to endure there. And that's what we saw in Psalm 73. The other promise that's important for us is that the Lord is faithful. He is faithful. Well, what does that mean? Um, I'll offer it to you this way. If you can't hear the Lord speaking to you, you can trust that he's speaking to the Father about you. He is a great intercessor. All throughout scripture, Jesus is depicted this way. In Hebrews 7, in Romans 8, places in the gospel, he carries a deep intercession for us. If you remember Peter's life, Peter was getting ready to come into a trial of his own, and Jesus didn't go to him and say, I'm going to snatch you from it. He said, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. He has asked to have you. And he didn't say, I'm going to deliver you from it. I'm going to save you from it. Um, what he said was, I've prayed for you. That what? That your faith would not fail. He's a great intercessor. And so we have this hope that in the midst of your storm and in your trials, you may feel like, I don't hear the Lord speaking. Maybe he's abandoned me. He's forgotten me. Any moment where you don't feel like the Lord is speaking and you're walking in a pureness of heart and you're walking in faith and praying the prayer of faith, if you can't hear him speaking to you, you can trust that he's speaking to the Father about you. He's interceding for you. He's covering for you. He's making a way for you to stand and be strong and have a firm faith. Amen? Amen. Why don't we stand together? Uh, some of you guys know a little bit of, of our story. We have three girls at home, and we have a son that would have been eight this year. He would have been eight and a half, Zachary. And um, 
when he was uh, about four months in the womb, we found out he had a heart condition. He had a big tumor. Uh, and it was just such that they couldn't operate. They couldn't do a whole lot. We tried a number of things when he was born. Um, and he died a month after he was born. So obviously very devastating for us as a, as a young family. Um, but in the midst of what we were walking through there, there were so many little moments that I always wondered about with God. I remember we were in the NICU and I mean, we were trying everything. We were very much in the mindset of like, okay, just give it to God, ask for the impossible, bring big faith. We were worshiping on the floor in the, in the hospital, which is disgusting now that I think about that. But we're on the floor in the hospital. The nurses literally came in stepping over us to check his vitals and do things. And we would just rotate reading Psalms and we would take prayer walks. And it just seemed like, okay, God's actually gonna answer this thing. We come from a really big family, Danny and I, and so we have Catholics in our family and Protestants and Pentecostals, and we have some that are not with the Lord. But man, in that moment, they got together on a weekly prayer call and they sat on the phone together and they labored and they prayed and they lifted up Zachary before the Lord. So we thought, surely, surely God's gonna heal. Like we're doing everything scripture says. Uh, our Michael and Beth and Josh and Nicole Gallardo and others came up to see us in Denver at times. Everybody was praying. I think they prayed for him in the church here. On, on a Wednesday night, we moved up to Denver. We had to uproot everything while we were up there. And the Lord saw fit to take him home. And so it was a really kind of a, a moment that rocked our faith. I remember there was a girl in the, in the NICU right next door to us whose, whose son was in the NICU because she smoked throughout her pregnancy. And so I sit there looking at that and she gets to go home with, with a healthy son and we don't. And I thought, Lord, what in the world? I was much like Asaph. Like it seems that the wicked just get a free pass in this life. What about us? Why do we get to go through the suffering? But he was fortifying something in our faith. Danny and I used to just pray together before we would go see the doctors. And uh, on the last day before he passed, we were, we were sitting together in the uh, hotel room and just kind of praying. And I said, all right, Lord, I know you can do it. I know you can touch, remove the tumor. We had been fasting. We just put everything out there. And Danny just got really quiet. And she said, what if the Lord's will is to take him? And I said, well, that's just not faith. We just got to push in. We just got to pray. We got to keep pushing. Like, have more faith. Uh, but she went to Luke 22, where, where the Lord sits in the agony in his garden. And he says to the father, if it would be your will, take this cup of suffering from me. But he says, not my will, but your will be done. And as she reminded me of that, we went to the next verse. And what does it say? The Lord didn't pull Jesus away from the place of suffering. He didn't, he didn't spare him from the cross because we needed that. But the Bible says an angel showed up and strengthened him. So even though the Lord didn't bring the miraculous breakthrough, he met him with strength in the trial. And that's what he did for us. And so we're not bitter at God. We, we celebrate the work of the Lord. We have a lot of questions. One day we're going to get to heaven and maybe we have a lot of questions. But he's faithful. And through the suffering, through the trial, we have known the mercy of God. We have seen the faithfulness of God. I don't know that I would say I needed that to learn those things of God, but man, was he good to us in the midst of it. Amen. Amen. Well, why don't we take a minute and uh, worship together. Um, prayer team, if any of you are here, you're welcome to come up. If you need to respond to anything in the word today, if you need someone to pray with you, uh, the prayer team will be here for you for that. And we'll open the altars during the worship song. If you don't have the assurance that the Lord is with me in a time of trial, those are blessings that are for his kids. 
All of us are created by him, but those that are redeemed, the blessed ones, those that have emptied out everything else to say, the Lord is my portion. I depend only on him. These promises apply to you. If you're outside of that fold, we want that for you. If you have never said yes to Jesus, we want to invite you and we want to have a conversation and pray with you about what that means, that you can have these assurances too. Why don't we take a moment and worship together and seal these things in our hearts and then we'll close. Thanks again for listening to our Springs Church podcast. For other exciting content from Springs Church, be sure to visit us online at springs.church. If you'd like to partner financially with Springs Church, you have the opportunity to give by visiting the Give tab of our website, springs.church.